From the Toad Hop Network Studios. In Hollywood, this, this is the ToadHopNetwork.com. It is strongly addictive. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people. My name is Sean Astin. I am your host. You know, I say that every week. I, I, it's not like we're going to catch people randomly surfing the net who are like, oh, wait, who is that? Pretty much if you're here, you know it's me. But it sounds nice and official. Um, with us today is uh, Mackenzie Astin. What's up? One of the producers and uh, co-hosts of the show, occasional guest host, co-host. What up? You know, the more you hang out here, the, the better your title gets. Word. <laughs> Johnny Ice is on the boards. Johnny, what's up? How's it going? Uh, you know, you know, you know. We missed our, I think in the, however many months, was it April or May, something like that, that we went online? I think it's the first show that I've, we must have post. I don't know. It was the first show that I know that I called in sick on. And uh, Anderson Cooper wasn't there to fill in for me, uh, or whoever else. Jay Leno. I'm thinking of people who. Well, we got to hit it hard on election night. Oh, we so. did, we did, we did, we did, we did. Yeah, Which was, that was a great show. It's a terrific show. It was unbelievable. It was nighttime, so more people were uh, available to call in, and it was, you know, pregnant, if you will, with all of the excitement of uh, a couple of years and billions of dollars worth of marketing and advertising, and and so it was just I couldn't keep up. My poor little fingers could not keep up with answering calls, and then I, I. Um, I felt like one of those operators in the 1940s. You know, please hold. Please hold. Um, Except. Um, uh huh. They're pretty. Or, yeah. yeah right. What? All yeah, right. I'm going to leave it alone. Okay. I just want to thank Mac ahead of time for your discretion and, and patience. Hey, listen, I'll, I'll edit. I'll edit today. I'll edit strong. So I was. Uh, I still am a little under the weather. It's been, uh, it's been a, one of those. Uh, colds it just na uh, nags and hangs in there. All right, hold on. I think this is. I've got a nine two five number calling in here. Hold on. Hello, nine two five. Is this Heather? Hey, Sean. It's Heather. Hey, you called back. Hey, I'm so glad. Um, all right, we're live on the air now. So why don't you uh, say your piece or ask your question or do whatever you want? If you can turn down your uh, your radio or computer too, Heather, that might be helpful there. That was my brother Mac. That was my brother. Okay. Um. So. I'm actually here with um, my high school film class, um, and we just wanted to ask you about the, like, your opinion on the um, Atreus Exposé. Absolutely. You're, uh, Absolutely. Okay, you got to turn your computer down because we're hearing feedback from your from your thing. I want to know how many uh, students are with you now, and is your teacher with you as well? Yeah, my teacher in my class. What's your teacher's name? Miss Dowling. Miss Dowling, how cool is it? You think it's her phone? All right, do me a favor. I want you, Heather, push mute on your phone, and I'll talk for a little bit. And then when you're ready to talk again, unmute. That way the audience doesn't have to listen to feedback. All right, so Miss Dowling, I think it's wicked cool that you are uh, giving some time to your students during school today to uh, to call in. I one of my favorite um, teachers in my high school uh, was Jim Hosney, and he was uh, he taught. Uh, film at the uh, at AFI, the American Film Institute, and we would 
we did a lot of really th I, I took uh, narrative film and European film and American film oh, and right. yeah it was it was it was a, I'll never forget um, I, I probably re you know we studied some of the European filmmakers and and uh, it, it really made you kind of a little bit more socially aware and and this kind of stuff so I love that you're calling into the show that your class is calling in. My thought, we had, we're just starting the show off, so we haven't even really set up yet for our audience and, and uh, th this uh, General Petraeus uh, scandal and, and uh, how it uh, relates to uh, the Benghazi um, uh, attack right. and, and, uh, and, and all of the other uh, post-election. There's really it's been a really extraordinary news week because all of these th and now you've got uh Israel is getting ready uh, it's it looks like is seriously threatening a ground war into uh into Gaza so we and everything is interrelated and right, and, right. and I think it's important to understand that because when we watch some of the news stations Fox News in particular but also um, anything on MSNBC these days, they will um, pull one piece of the story out and focus on it with a very specific political agenda. And I think it mm -hmm. makes it really hard for, um, the, uh, for the citizenry, for the public, for news consumers, for me, to kind of keep everything straight. And, and also I noticed because I have this political show that a lot of people have – um, an expectation of me and of the show, and not just that, but of their fellow citizens that they may they maybe should know more than they do. So what I would say is there are a couple of cold hard certainties, um, mm -hmm. and and those you know, and they carry with them um, moral and uh, philosophical and, and practical uh, ramifications or understanding. Resonance. Sure. So uh, one of them is that um, our diplomatic outpost was attacked. The, right, and, and, right. When, and when that happened, uh, my show, <clears throat> it, was very, it was deeply upsetting to me in real time as we were trying to understand what was going on. And, uh, and I think that... Uh, the the truth of what happened there is um, coming out in fits and starts in little pieces of testimony uh, in in explanations, but it's all very very difficult. And I would say that um, I think that uh, as much as I, I I really am upset by um, Lindsey uh, Graham and and John McCain and their their mode the way they're behaving. I don't know if you guys saw the exchange right. between uh, President Obama and them, the kind of back, angry back and forth about the, the, the U.N. ambassador, they have been calling for a joint um, investigation between the House and the Senate uh, committees that deal with these things. And I actually think that's a great idea. And I think the White House supports that idea as well. And now we see that Hillary Clinton is going to testify in open session. Uh, we see that... Um, General Petraeus, <laughs> now as a private citizen, is going to uh, answer questions in, in, a, in a closed setting. And I think uh, the CIA and the Defense Department and the State Department, the information is going where it needs to go. And I think that we have every reason to believe as a populace that the full story 
will will come out. So, having said that, the fact that a uh, a career general uh, who's uh, uh, who's the head of the CIA finds himself, uh, you know, um, quits because he had a marital infidelity is uh, sad for right. his, that's sad for his family. Um, it is uh, it's potentially. Th- that kind of indiscretion in that job, I don't know. It's it's either par for the course, depending on how many spy novels you read and how many James Bond movies you watch. That mm-hmm. you know, it's people in those situations are always always uh, vulnerable to uh, being blackmailed and these kind of things. But in but in a real world, in the United States of America, with the most powerful military in the world, when our head CIA guy finds himself uh, open to that kind of um, uh, pressure, it's it's bad. So it was totally. I believe it was. Appropriate for him to step down. There was some discussion early on from Senator Feinstein who thought maybe his uh, resignation should not have been accepted by the president. I think the guy should have resigned. I think uh, it was right for the president to accept that resignation. But I also think that uh, the timing of it is is very strange. The, it's very, very strange. And, and this is one of those gray areas that allows uh, pundits to run amok and and sort of leaves the uh, the average citizen scratching their head. But the fact that there was this FBI investigation, which is, uh, I'm not sure how much your students understand about the the way it all unfolded. But I've I've watched a hundred hours of footage on this and read a ton, and I think I still barely get it. But it seems as though um, this uh, woman in Tampa, Florida, who has been described as a socialite. Um, and her uh, her her whole life narrative and and the way she was operating, I think, is um, is a, is another subject. Well, you know, well, you know so in my class, we're all huddled around the little iPhone here. We're all wondering about the timing of of the investigation after the election when President Obama was informed, and and how all that's playing out. And we're also kind of wondering about um, is the American public dated after the Clinton affair, and I know Petraeus' position in the CIA, but those are the kind of questions that we've been discussing and looking at. And, and yeah, they're good ones. The I mean, it's and it's hard to it's hard to to parse the answers. I mean, in President Obama's uh, first uh, press conference since the election, uh, he answered it by saying that answered the the question was. I would have assumed that if the FBI was investigating the chair, the head of the CIA, that the president of the United States would know about that. That just seemed like a no-brainer. And the more I read uh, the the uh, protocols and and the the Constitution that talk about um, you know Congress having uh, oversight and and a need to know in a timely fashion all things pertaining to national security matters, it would have seemed very logical that they would know about it to me just on the face of it now uh the 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 fact that the president uh what he said yesterday was if he had known about it if it had been disclosed to him sooner it's very likely that the people asking questions about why didn't you know would be asking the opposite question which is why were you uh asserting yourself in uh, in, a, in an investigation that uh, that's there's supposed to be a firewall between the attorney general's office and the uh, and and the the president's office when it comes to um, when it comes to certain uh, investigations. So you get into this gray area between where are they operating 
um, independently and doing what they're supposed to do? And when did their protocols break down for, for notifying the, the president? So the question that we always have to ask ourselves is, you know, does it seem, does it pass the smell test? You know, did or did not. The, can you te can you trust the president at his word when he says I didn't know about it until uh, whatever it was, the two days after the election? It's so weird that he, that um, the FBI agent went outside of his chain of command and approached a congressman directly about an investigation like this. And then the congressman, it sounds like. So then, excuse me, take the FBI agent off the case if he's a little bit obsessive about the, about the case. That's what, that's what, yeah, and then he apparently went, I mean, listen, I don't know, but that's, this is the story that that he was, mm -hmm. uh, you know, emailing or texting uh, pictures of himself with his shirt off and to the, uh, right. to, to the okay. subject. But the, the, <clears throat> the, the thread of it, as I understand it now, and it's, it's really loose understanding, and, and a lot of it, you, you have to navigate this space between gossip and mm -hmm. uh, and and you know legitimate news gathering and legitimate con you know consuming of of news that's you know prescient that, may, that actually makes a difference in terms of how our country is being managed and and uh, because <clears throat> it's only a couple of steps away from serious decisions that are being made about war and peace and clandestine activities that have you know destabilizing governments and backing syrian uh you know uh, uh what do you call insurgencies and choosing who which you know what i mean it's 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 you go from a guy with his shirt off sending a text in tampa florida to you know a lot of human suffering and you kind of think we we as a as a people need to try the best we can to build the bridge between those ideas so that guy apparently stepped if i'm not getting it wrong here stepped outside of his uh you know who he would normally be reporting to this fbi agent who had initially uh you know begun because of a personal friendship an investigation into a stalker type uh, you know, persona who was, you know, sending anonymous emails. He now knew that right. there was a relationship to uh, David Petraeus, and he went and told a congressman, which is like going mm -hmm. on the, it's like going on the news. You know, as soon as you tell a congressman, that congress, congressman is obligated uh, to do with that information. He's a public servant. So if holding that information is the right legal thing to do, he or she will. And if not, now apparently what that congressman did was kick it up to uh, Cantor. So, um, Sean, do you think there's going to be like more trust issues now? Well, listen, there's always trust issues. This is what's so hard. There's always trust issues. And trust, you know, it's like faith in religion. There's a moment in which people make a leap to believe what they believe because the facts the, the the hard data doesn't necessarily bear it out so you, they so a leap is made a leap of faith uh, and the same thing happens with our public officials we have we we have to um, you know Reagan is very famous Ronald President Reagan was very famous during uh, uh, the end of the Cold War when we were talking about bringing uh, you know really reducing our, our nuclear weapons arsenals in uh, conjunction with the Soviets dropping their the then Soviet Union dropping theirs was uh, trust but verify you know and and that was uh, it, it's always a thing when you're when you're uh, in a negotiation there's great um, you know in fiction about how you 
you know, who lays down their weapons first? Do you lay them down at the same time? Or if you're going to you're gonna make a trade between the drugs and the money, like who you back? You know, it, it, the, the public has that kind of holy or unholy relationship with our public officials where we hire them. So we, we are entrusting them with our uh, with that job to work for us as our servant. That's an interesting word, public servant. They're there to serve us. The way the police serve to protect and serve, they're there to serve us. But we can also uh, we can we can um, have them uh, uh, held in uh, what do you call it? We can impeach them, you know, which is a kind of immediate vote of no confidence. We can uh, vote them out of office. They can be uh, there, there's a lot of ways to to deal with um, politicians and and uh, and administration people who who run afoul of us. The problem is that I one of the one of the many issues that comes to my mind is. How hard do we make it for these individuals in all chambers of government to do their job effectively on our behalf if we are um, uh, if if our our checks and balances our public our media checks and balances against their behaviors is really corrosive right Obama, there, there's a lot of things that are existing simultaneously. Obama said in the the um, uh, what do you call it, the, the Rose Garden, the day after Benghazi, that uh, all acts of terror, no act of terrorism would be tolerated like this. So he used that word with regard to Benghazi. But act of terror, act of terror. Act of terror. There was okay. no ism at the end of that, which I think has something to do with faith. Uh, well, they, the, that's a very, it's a, it's a critically good point, Mac. Thank you for jumping on that. Um, the no, because that's it. That's what the second debate was all about, with Candy Crawley stepping in and right, right. and not letting, uh, you know, not sort of letting him off the hook from answering the question more fully. The which I think she did, and I, I like her, and, and I, I think CNN, do, you know, tries to do a good job for a, a corporate news uh, group to try, try and be even about the thing. But the, I think she definitely gave him a buy on that one. Um, yeah. So so my point is that. Uh, but he, he also then maintained, you know, sometime thereafter, week or more thereafter, that there was a, that the video of this uh, this anti Mohammed uh, video had some role to play. So, you know, it's it's very um, my, the point I'm making is that as we get to the bottom of this, as Congress does its natural oversight thing, holds its hearings and so forth, I think. There are ways in which the public should demand answers, and there's ways in which the public shouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, and and the, the way, you know, so I, I noticed that Sean, there's, can, yeah. Sean, can you take two more quick questions, one from Drew and then one quick one from Heather? Yeah, really go, Drew. It. Yeah. Here, 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 here. Uh, hi, I'm Drew. Um, what do you think about the Libya thing when Obama didn't tell, like, everybody till like, 14 days later? Well, this is what I'm saying. He, the the didn't didn't say that it was it didn't characterize it as a a coordinated attack from Al Qaeda. I mean, you know, he he said it, it, I'm not sure. It, it I really don't like that the pre White House press secretary and that Susan Rice, the UN ambassador, came out and definitively said this was a direct cause of a spontaneous uprising. And then have not said in subsequent days we were wrong for saying that. So that I'm very uncomfortable with that. I, I 
I still am looking for the, the definitive place that says uh, that there was no gathering whatsoever. So, I, so it, that bothers me. The president, the president's timetable, I think he and Secretary Clinton uh, were good uh, political and uh, kind of – I think they did legally what they needed to do. Obama established right away. He said, as soon as I heard about it, I told the national security team and uh, the intelligence team, do whatever you have to do to, save, to, to help these guys. That's an order that he issued. Right. But now he's being accused of a lot of different things. Uh, the 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 Secret Service or sorry, the uh, the the CIA has had leaked uh, an email in days past saying that uh, there was a call out uh, for help and that there was CIA assets on the ground and that those CIA assets uh, were told by someone to stand down. And now the acting secretary or the acting deputy of the CIA uh, acting director of the CIA today testified in front of the House that that did not happen. So, so which is it? You know, do, do we believe Fox News who grabs onto an email and and screams and yells about it for a week, or do we believe the acting director of the CIA who says that didn't happen? You know, reason. I I don't know if here's something I don't know. I don't know if the joint committee. Uh, investigating this will publish some sort of do definitive document, a, 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 a timeline that is the official congressional timeline. And by the way, when Congress does this kind of stuff, a lot of times I don't think we get the straight answer out of Congress either. So well, that's, the, that's the thing is, is looking at um, you know how it's how it's um, communicated, looking at the lines of communication, and my students want just disclosure. I think there's some frustration um, by, by a lot of people in looking at the ripple effect yeah. in a lot of different ways, and it's just going back to that old feeling of um, who do we believe here, and looking at, you know, as you said, the timeline of... Well, let uh, me say this. Let me say this. There, yeah. there will never be complete certainty. We will never know 100%. So as citizens, what we have to do is decide how much time and energy it's our responsibility to invest, to understand it to the best of our ability, and more importantly, uh, and, and to do that, and then to realize, like, we can't adjudicate all of these things. There's too much going on in the news. There's too much going on in a, in a country of 300 million, in a world of 8 billion people. There's no way that we as individuals will ever be able to fully understand everything that's happening. So learning to live with uncertainty and having confidence about where to put that in your mind is really, is really an important part of maturity, of, of, of growing up. Is learning to say, okay, I won't know the answer to that, but I don't have to feel as though my personal safety is at stake. I don't have to feel, you know, uh, we, we have to we have to allow for new information to come in. We have to allow we ha you know we have to have our our um, what do we call it? We have to have our values, our principles, mm -hmm. our ethics. We have to have a better you know. And by the way, those things, values and ethics and principles, uh, can be refined over time and this is a crucible this news story is a crucible in which really starting to decide who we are 
uh, I mean, as 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 young uh, as high school students, and and you know, I've got kids, and so helping them understand things, you know, as as a parent and helping shape their ideas of how to approach the future, you know, the bombast that comes out of the the primary news organizations, the mainstream news organizations, is uh, is really hard to collect your thoughts when when you're being assaulted by it. But the, what I was going to say I is the more I think you're right, Sean. I think it is a good morality tale as, as it's playing out. I think it's what it's turning out to be. Sadly, and I, I, you know, we sort of had the Clinton thing years ago, and now it's a betrayal affair. And um, another 10 years or so, it may be another major national figure or political figure. But I think, you know, we need to learn from this. We need to grow from this. We need to carry on and see what are the lessons that we can apply to our moral code and our moral compass as we go forward. Because I think it's really critical and use it as a learning tool. I think that's what we all have to do. Let me say one. Let me say one more thing. Let me say one more thing about a lesson to take away from this for your kids. Okay. The United States of America has, spends an awful lot of money every year uh, offering aid, is one way to think of it, or financial support or financial exchange with many many nations around the world, and the way in which we interact with those countries from a financial perspective, from a military perspective, and hopefully, ultimately, from a diplomatic perspective, is really going to uh, determine how much peace and how much war there is. So understanding that Benghazi's in Libya and that there are, um, you know, that that moment didn't have... I, I, my, my conjecture at this moment is that the big mistake that was made was in hoping that having an under-supported uh, State Department uh, presence and a, a, a diplomat there who wanted to have a small footprint so that that we could start to help work with the new government, uh, it was a it was a a tactical mistake because we're still vulnerable in a land when where Al Qaeda operates with much greater freedom than we would like to believe or that is publicly understood. Uh, is I think I think. The State Department and, and their whole way they did, they, I think they made a big mistake. I think they made a big mistake. Right. Not, not uh, you know, I think it was it was very brave for him, for that ambassador who who knew so much about the place and who had been so instrumental in helping to overthrow Gaddafi. It was very brave and maybe a little overconfident. Uh, and and the, and the State Department is complicit in this of letting them be vulnerable. And not supporting them. Now, a lot of people would say that that was a dereliction of duty, that that was totally reckless. I think that conversation is actually will start to get at the heart of how should we react uh, if we were to ever normalize relations with Iran, for example, or throughout, or what happens in the in the wake of Syria once that uh, drama uh, is finished. Like, how does the United States posture ourselves? How do we? Use our ambassadors to really communicate with uh, with with other countries. That is the the place where trying to understand whether or not the general had sex with his biographer, whether or not uh, an ambassador came out and spewed talking points that she was given from the uh, CIA, and the administration was clumsy about how they've dealt with it publicly, uh, the political man, all that stuff is ultimately uh, trans transitory. The thing that will last is how will we as a country 
work with our friends and neighbors around the world. And this is a tipping point issue on how to understand that. So, so I, you know, I, I love that you have your students uh, doing this. I hope that, uh, you know, if you have them write about stuff and you put, put together some thoughts or whatever, I, I hope you uh, email them to uh, Sean Aston Vox Populi. Uh, at gmail.net, which is our, the radio's uh, uh, email, because I'd love to uh, hear more from, from you and the, and the students about uh, their takeaway from this interview and as they, they go forward. And, 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 you know, good for you as a, uh, as a teacher. I think you're, you're doing that's I'm so glad you did that. Um, and, Sean, uh, this is Heather again. Um, so I just wanted to say, like, thank you for the time. Like, we really appreciate it because you've been my favorite actor since so I was really little. Well, it is my absolute privilege. I feel like I'm supposed to pitch The Hobbit right now and tell you that you know, <laughs> the students are like uh, hobbits, and then, uh, even the smallest can change the fate of the world. Anyhow, thank you, thank you so much for uh, for enjoying my work as an actor and for uh, listening to the show and calling into. Uh, I couldn't have asked for a better a better call. So thank you guys so much, and and you know, stay friends of the show. Tell your parents to tune in. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Trust but verify. <laughs> <laughs> How great was that? That was delightful. That was absolutely delightful. That's good. Was it a civics class, a history class? A film time? class. A film class. Yeah. Trust but verify. <laughs> <laughs> you all right there, fella? Well, we you all right? Know. We I'll losing you? Right. We losing right. you? Can you want to you want to fill in? I can Why don't you play? Uh, okay, so uh, that that call just was like a. Uh, I love that call. That's a good call. Maybe one of the best calls of the whole show, wow. actually. Wow! Because if you think of it, the. I mean, that's that's the point. Yeah. So. Yeah, and and uh, oh, you know, I wish I could be more. Uh, well, you know, organizing. You wonder about the news directors of the shows. And this is what, you know, you go to the Daily Beast or Huffington Post or Politico or CNN or Fox or whatever, and you see how they're, um, or the New York Times. I went and bought, uh, I went to Starbucks beforehand and got the, uh, got the New York Times out and, uh, and was just looking about the way they, because information happens so fast. Yes. Why should these eight articles make it to the front of the New York Times and are they still relevant well, it's, Once the paper lands on the... Uh, yeah, technically, you're reading yesterday's news. Uh, yeah, I guess if they have to put it to bed by midnight or something, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, which is a, a good time for all those school kids to get to bed by midnight. <laughs> the um, Throw up that picture from the Huffington Post of the, the rocket in Israel. Um, this is what the New York Times is leading with. Um Israel, Israeli assault into Gaza kills a Hamas leader. Wider conflict feared. 20 targets are hit after rocket strikes by Palestinians. So, uh, listen to the, Oh, it's by Isabel Kirshner and Farez Akram. If you had to guess what, what uh, nationality or uh, ethnicity those two names are, what would you guess? I wouldn't want to venture a guess I, I don't know if i'm it's got to be it's got to be one of it's got to be a, a jew and an arab right it's got to be you, what were the names again uh isabel kirshner kirshner's got to be a jewish name sounds jewish yeah, yeah. and uh and farez akram i mean that could be any number of nationalities but you got to figure politically the new york times has to try and present uh you know 
don't know. It's funny because now that I have this show, every time I pick up the New York Times, I can hear an entire conservative audience going, well, that's just a liberal, that's just liberal propaganda. Yeah, trust but verify. <laughs> yeah, well, there it is. Uh, anyhow, did you show that rocket thing? Rockets fired by Gaza militants hit Tel Aviv, three dead in south, hundreds of targets hit, 15 dead, over 100 injured in Gaza, heaviest fighting in four years. Netanyahu, Israel will take whatever action is necessary. BBC journalist infant son dies in Gaza attack. Israel launches new air raids, calls up 30,000 reservists. That, look at that rocket attack. I'm just trying to think like in LA, if like, if that's like you're in Los, just in amount of space, like miles, is that, if you're like in Los Feliz, and that hits you over by the airport or something, by LAX or something like that? I don't really know what you're talking about. What do you I'm mean? Just, how, are we, I'm just saying that, that, that picture, I'm how, looking at that picture right now, and I'm just saying that image. How far away is, rocket, the, is the camera from where the... the well, I was the thinking rocket. of where the rocket is being fired from and what its target is. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it doesn't look like it's more than a couple of miles. That's for sure. Haifa is that a Haifa rocket? You never whose rocket is that? Um, I, the, the, it's just funny because it's not funny. The, the yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty darn bad. It ain't good. BP. You see that British Petroleum? Yeah. Uh, I think it's four and a half billion. Uh, fine they have to pay what for uh the oil spill in the gulf four and a half billion dollars i believe so where does that money go yeah now there's a good question can that go right to the deficit <laughs> yeah, but i mean uh does it help rebuild the communities that were affected most by uh that i mean and, and by by that I, I suppose i'm talking about the communities of fish yes it goes right to the fish no i don't know i don't know i mean i would assume that uh uh, the U.S. government spent a lot of money in the immediate time, and MVP spent a lot of money in the immediate. I don't know if that's on top of uh, the money that they had to pay to help clean things up. Have you seen those commercials lately? Uh, what uh, for? How clean the Gulf is? Yeah, right? come on down to the Gulf. Everything yeah. is nice and clean. Yeah, Try the shrimp. It's the best. It's the best years ever, according yeah. to the. <clears throat> Do you think any of that is? Uh, I don't know. Propaganda. Uh, it sure feels like it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean. How many jobs does BP? I don't know. I don't know anymore. I should be. I should have asked those kids what they thought about the British Petroleum uh, fine. Well, what they thought about you know, uh, Petraeus and the FBI thing. They clearly like gone through it. They, they, it was it was clearly the moral failings of of the uh, scandal that was animating. Initially animating their conversation, it seemed clear to me that that's what was uh, kind of driving their. Uh, well, that's certainly um, the focus of the resignation letter. You know, after being married for over thirty-seven years, I showed extremely poor judgment by engaging in an extramarital affair. Such behavior is unacceptable, both as a husband and as a leader of an organization such as ours. So the so apparently his boss told him he had to uh, recommended that he had to. Uh, ooh, we got another call coming in. Hello, hello. Hey. Hey, who's this? Brett. Oh, Brett. CB. How you doing, guys? Good, brother. How are you? 
Good to see you, Mac. Likewise. Good to see you. Well, nice to hear you. Did uh, Did you hear that conversation with the high school students? Yes, I did. It was very cool. Yeah. I should have asked them lot. more questions. Yeah, uh, well, you know, you'll know better next time. <laughs> I don't know that I will. Um, <laughs> tell me, uh, are you going to play it again? No, I was going to play it. Mac is starting to, uh, he's starting to come online here as the, uh, the, the clown car guest host. Hold on one second, Brett. Don't go anywhere. Hello, hello. Hi. Uh, this is Mary Ellen. I was going to talk about the Israeli situation. Mary Ellen, hold on just a second. Don't go anywhere. And I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you. Just ho hold the line for a minute, okay? Okay. Hello? Hi. Oh, hang on. Don't go anywhere. Don't me. I know. <laughs> At some point, I'm going to learn how to work this thing. All right, hold on. Okay. Brett, you're there. Yes, sir. All right, go ahead and, and tell me what uh, we're going to talk about Benghazi. We're going to talk about Israel. What are we going to talk about? Yes. Shoot. Um, any of those will work. Um, well, we start with Petraeus, since that was the topic of the top of the discussion there. Um, he, uh, having having held the security clearance, um, he really had no choice but to resign. Um, there, there, there's a few things that they uh, really frown upon uh, when you have a security clearance. Uh, having an affair is one of them. Uh, having credit troubles is another one. Um, uh, I, I, it used to be, uh, it was probably not so much with Don't Ask, Don't Tell going away. Uh, being homosexual was another one because they were considered to be blackmail vectors. And we used to use them a lot. The Soviets used to use them a lot. Uh, and it's, it's just one of those things that almost immediately avoids your security clearance in, in many cases. Did you see that um, that Broad, uh, what's her name, Mac? Uh, Broadwell? Yeah. Paula Broadwell? Paula Broadwell. Uh, it said, I saw a thing today that she lost her security clearance. I don't know if that yeah, meant she, she, she would. Um, Maybe she ought to and, check uh, the general's nightstand. Oh. Well, I mean, you know, you, you, this isn't just a general. I mean, first of all, it's two. But, I mean, it's, it's the director of central intelligence. You know, back in the days before uh, Homeland Security, that was the guy that everybody kind of reported to in the entire intelligence industry. I mean, he was the guy that oversaw all intelligence. Um, and well, but really he, surely he has to just... a really capable guy. But surely he has the discretion in any one of a thousand conversations in a given day who to allow to see what layer of uh, classification, classified information he deems fit. To, to a degree, he does. Um, but there are certain standards for, uh, written standards, for who can see what level of uh, classified information, and it, it has to go through a vetting process. Uh, he doesn't have sole discretion. And from what uh, I understand he, he so far, in certain the... particular cases where national security is involved, but when you're talking about talking to somebody who's ostensibly a journalist, um, well, probably not. <laughs> but she, uh, well, she had. She was a weird. She's kind of a hybrid person, right? She had right. clearance, but the and I think he gave. But the, according to the FBI, or at least the FBI seems to be telegraphing a little now that there was no real breach of classified information that was... I, I don't think that there was much of a breach of anything really seriously classified. Um, it, it would be low-level classified material. She did have a, a clearance. She would have, have had to have clearance just to be his biographer. 
Um, you, you, you can't be the biographer of, of the director. Oh, she was bragging about more. She was bragging about even more clearance than that. that you know. she, she's actually probably got fairly high clearance. Um, Not anymore. Civilian. <laughs> Anyways. All right, so may, give me a thought about it, and then I'm going to let uh, our other caller talk about Israel. You want to give, give me a – put a button on I, your the, thoughts. The right. thing I always think about Israel when people talk about, you know, them going in hard against somebody sending missiles, think about what would we do as the United States if every month or two somebody in Mexico lobbed a bunch of missiles into Texas or San Diego. Um, you know, it's about a 40-kilometer range on the Hamas rocket. They're really widely inaccurate. You're lucky if you can hit the city you're aiming at. But, I mean, they shoot them into civilian areas. They don't do a whole heck of a lot of damage generally. Um, and there's generally not a whole heck of a lot of loss of life, although once in a while they get lucky. Um, but, you know, I mean, we would come down hard on Mexico if something like that were to happen. Um, and if it continued to happen and, and, and that government didn't stop it, we would, we would go in militarily. Now, we probably wouldn't have the same 10-to-1 scorched earth, earth policy that Israel has had for the last... 45, 50 years, uh, where their basic rule is you kill one of us, we're going to take out 10 of you. But, um, you know, they've done that ever since the 72-minute games. That's that's the way they've done things, and they feel that that's necessary for their security. It's pretty brutal, but then again, they haven't really been attacked since, you know, what, the 67 war, other than these missiles? Well, oh, is the... Um the vocabulary used by uh, in a in a secular setting, um, I find, is fraught with peril when we use analogies. Um, right. And then I I also think that uh, we it's it's really easy to um, you know when we talk about something from thirty thousand feet. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of images that came out today. There was one in, uh, and this is what always happens. Um, you know, heartbreaking image of uh, oh yeah, collateral damage is insane when you when you hit into a, uh, an urban area like they're doing. It's un, it's unavoidable, and, and that we would probably step back from that. Uh, well, I and, don't know, and not we would go in with special forces or something if we could. But Oof. then again, you know, there is a religious component, but Israel exists as a secular nation as well. Um, and and they they act on their security concerns based on uh, that and and you you, you kind of have to think by putting yourself in their shoes what would you do what would we do as a nation is constantly rockets were raining down in our cities like I said the uh... religion aside what will we do I mean we're we, you know. I'm sure we would have Christian groups up in arms. Too, All right, let me I mean, let me jump to our other caller. Let me jump to our other caller and see if she has some thoughts about this. The 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 specific uh, the kind of. Ta I want to hear what the, what our other caller has to say. Brett, as always, uh, interesting, thought provoking. Uh, you know, call back. It's in good one to back. have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back, man. Thanks, man. Thanks. Have a good day. See you, Mike. See you, Mike. Likewise. Hello, hello. Hi. Hi there. Okay, so uh, so you had a. Uh, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, go ahead and tell me your uh, how you're approaching the news of the day in Israel. Uh, well, I'm, I'm concerned for the Israeli people, and I I am behind them 100 percent, and I understand why they are doing what they're doing, like uh, taking out that Hamas agent uh, because 
they're trying to avoid war, and by doing that, they've been try- taking out over the years some of their top nuclear scientists, and now this Hamas person yesterday. So I tend to before before them. Um, they Israel has been getting bombs uh, almost daily for years from Gaza. And they fire their rockets from areas like children's schools or medical buildings so that if Israel comes back with a missile and they hit a school, then it's all big news that that Israel took out a school. Hmm. Actually, Gaza is taking... uh, Okay, Gaza has actually been hitting civilians... Recently, they got uh, three people were killed, and then an infant and a baby were injured and were in the hospital uh, going under surgery. And anyway, I just wanted to give I'm a conservative and I'm pro Israel, and I just wanted to offer you that support. All right, well, I think, uh, you know, to me, I I try and um, I pray for peace. Uh, and and I, I and yet I know that uh, praying for peace isn't what causes peace. You actually people have to go out and make peace. And right. I know that uh, that this it is so complex. I mean, there's nothing complex about a rocket coming into your neighborhood. That's pretty that's pretty clear. And you want to defend yourself at all costs. So I I, I notice that when I try and facilitate an open conversation about it. Trying to be neutral is, in fact, not being neutral at all. It's it's actually, um, you know, a position against uh, this side or that side, um, and and there's a there's a, a false equivalency. You know, what's happening is a military armed, uh, violent action in real time. It's hot war, and and so you know, talking about it in a in a kind of removed, dispassionate way, or or at least a. Uh, a way that tries to uh, see the value, the humanity in both sides is in some way to uh, deny the humanity of the other side. Uh, and, and so I, I find my, the vocabulary, um, the, the, my language ends up falling short because um, I feel like what everyone in the region demands is an understanding of some amount of history. Uh, and some amount of context, and yet the disagreement about uh, the nature of that history and the nature of that uh, conflict, uh, conflict over time, um, it, it, you know, just makes it impossible to have a peace, you know, uh, to, to, to have lasting peace. So I, I look at it, I'm startled by it, I wonder what the, um, the, the broader regional ramifications are. I think uh, one of the headlines today said that it was testing that the violence itself and mostly uh, the, the Israeli uh, defense forces uh, assertion, you know, uh, uh, asserting itself um, was, was uh, huh, I want to be careful how I say it, but the, m- m- the point I'm getting is Egypt and the, the Egyptian-Israeli uh, relationship is now being, uh, the tension is, is being uh, sharpened there um, between right. them, which, which, 
given the fact that they're now uh, – the, the Egyptian government is, is brand new or if it, you can even call it a government or if the, uh, the military that's running it – you know, the – it's just a very uh, uneasy time with with uh, a whole series of trap doors all over the place. And, you know, you've got, to me, Yemen and Syria and Libya and Egypt and Palestine. And, like, it's all – there's an – I just wonder – I don't have a good enough grasp. I'm not getting uh, – I, I, you know, I would love to be in some of the U.S. Defense Department, uh, you know, high-level briefings about wh how they interpret what's mm -hmm. going on and, and create that sort of uh, uh, context for, for me, for the rest of the world. Um, I know that America and Israel are in lockstep that, uh, I mean, every time I think about this, I think about all the Holocaust uh, museums I've been to and the books that I've read and the movies I've seen and the survivors I've talked to and and uh, to me that that animates my thinking about uh, what's happening that that it's a very tiny country in terms of size and populace and that the level of threat that surrounds Israel from all quarters is uh, is must must feel overwhelming to people living there uh, inside of Israel. Uh, I'm also, you know, I don't like collateral damage of any kind. I don't think anybody does. Um, and probably, you know, even the people causing it don't like it. Uh, but people do what they uh, people are people are doing what they think they're supposed to be doing. Um, so I, I don't. I, I, what I'd love is to have some historical experts. You know, people who really want to give voice to uh, to the. Uh, I don't even know what to call it, the, the unfolding events, really. I mean, I, I remember it was in 2006 or seven. probably not a good idea to guess at these dates, but when uh, Haifa rockets were being launched from Lebanon and there was a, a pushback and there, there was a kind of uh, a, a serious fight going on on the border there. And I found myself right. at that point uh, really, uh, really upset that I didn't know more. And so I was uh, reading different books, and one of my colleagues, uh, an actor friend, gave me this book by Fisk called The Great War for Civilization, Conquest of the Middle East or something like that. And it was a book that's you know, like three times the size of the Bible. And I, I was making my way through that book for about three years before I ultimately gave up on it because wow. it was uh, – there, there was so much going on in it, and this, this guy who – uh, the, the guy who was a journalist for, uh, I want to say The Independent or something like that, and he was a Beirut guy, and uh, he was stationed in Beirut, uh, a journalist, and he kind of had a front row ride to uh, a lot of everything from the invasion of Afghanistan uh, with the Russians and uh, and then, you know, the the fall of the Shah and the Iraq-Iran war and all these kind of things. He was, he was writing his experiences, and then there's, uh, I guess he's a very political figure because others I talked to were, you know, hated the guy and it's just, it's just so hard. I, I just I look at this the whole time I'm talking. I'm looking at this rocket flying, uh, I think from Gaza, uh, and just thinking uh, it's just so sad and it's scary. And and I, so we have to find some. We citizens of the world need to find some way to um, help Israel exist in a confident posture. It seems to me, on my understanding of history, and I'm a Western guy, so. I expect Muhammad to come call in at some point here and disabuse me of, of uh, you know, my lack of knowledge here. But the, the, uh, I don't know. I just think about the Holocaust, and I think it's not that much real estate. And I know how important that real estate is for people from a spiritual and from a religious perspective. But 
Mm. Um, you know, I wonder. I just wonder how how I wonder how different. I mean, what if the Cherokee and 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 the the Ojibwa and uh, the Blackfeet and uh, the Iroquois had uh, had rockets, and and were able to to send off rockets to sort of defend where they were from, as it was encroached upon by um, you know somebody from out of town. Well, you know what? How? What yeah. is it they think? What is it they that think they be- can really accomplish by sending these rockets? It must be a PR thing, because surely they're not expecting them to be effective, and surely they know that the Israeli defense forces aren't going to tolerate it coming out of there, and they're going to, and that they're, uh, you know, overmatch their 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 technological overmatch. So, I mean, did you see the car that that Hamas leader? Like yeah. that was as pinpoint. It looked like it looked like they had uh, like a video game. It was like that specific, right on the car. So surely, the Palestinians, the Hamas leaders, know they they, they must want the pictures of the collateral damage to come out because it will engender sympathy with them throughout the throughout the the rest of the uh, Muslim world. That must that must be the point. I, I'm just freestyling here, but. I'm not going to fire a Haifa rocket 100 miles away from here or 30 miles away from here, 15, 10 miles, whatever it is, five miles away, knowing that I'm going to step on a, a guy who's, gonna, who's got way better firepower, way better intelligence, way be- unless I think, unless I'm doing somebody's bidding. Whose bidding are they doing? Because otherwise it's question. just suicide. <clears throat> it's a tough question. True. All right. Well, thank you for your but call. I, I appreciate your. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. You were going to say something else. Oh, I just was going to say that. Well, now I lost it. I'll forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to keep praying for peace. That's one thing. Major thing. Yes. So the innocence on all sides must be protected by the goodwill of the world. So I think the best we can hope to do right now is try and read with intent and. And offer offer support to whoever we think is going to calm it the hell down. Mm. Yeah. All right. Thank yeah. you so much for your call. Okay. Thank you. Bye. That's interesting. I, I hadn't I hadn't really uh, I hadn't really thought of it in those terms before. But who who could who could be pulling strings and launching those rockets or those? I mean, I know Jimmy Carter ran himself afoul of the uh, of of the. Uh, Jewish nation when he when he tried to he wrote a book uh, called uh, something about the new apartheid or apartheid mm. he used the word apartheid in relationship to it and and uh, people were so upset and I, uh, Jews were really really you know irate because you know obviously they felt that that was a uh, you know being compared to the uh, Boers or whoever it was the uh, the the uh, what do you call them in, in South Africa? The Afrikaners. The Afrikaners. Yeah, you know, a couple, couple thousand Afrikaners ruling millions with a with an with an iron fist. I think there's uh, th- that. It mu- but Jimmy Carter must have felt when visiting the camp. You know, he's he was trying to. I, I don't. I'm not an apologist for Jimmy Carter. I do. I do love that he talks about peace. Um, but he must have been trying to build from the ground up. Like, let's look at these settlements and how much people are suffering. And by calling attention to the suffering, maybe you'll help build a, a peace agreement. 
Um, but if people feel like their security is threatened, it doesn't matter. They probably they probably be, are, feel even worse. Like I don't want to build that fence, but I'm not gonna. But as long as those people, you know, the, the, I, I talk to lots of uh, you know the, the book that I, we've been trying to make is is about uh, the Danish rescue of the Jews in in the uh, Second World War, mm-hmm. and it's a book that's uh, taught in fourth and fifth grade called Number of the Stars. It's Lois Lowry, Newbery Award winning book, and we've been trying to adapt it into a film, and it's a a multi faith book about uh, story fiction about uh, that's set in this real. Um, historical moment when when the Nazis decided they were going to finally round up the Jews in uh, in, in Denmark. The Jewish people essentially, you know, said no. We're, that's not going to not going to accept that. Um, so I've spent a lot of time uh, researching uh, at least that particular period and and uh, that's tough. It is. It is. It's just so maddening, particularly when. Leaders on all sides have said that they that they know that there's a deal to be made. They know that peace is. They, they know what the parameters of peace are. That somehow it just, you know, takes the will of the leaders to, uh, you know, strike it and hold it and keep it. I, I know that uh, a lot of Jewish uh, friends that I've talked to say that it's really hard when. Uh, Generations and, and young people are being indoctrinated in a in a way that is, uh, uh, you know, antithetical to peace. Is the argument I've heard? Oh, I don't yeah. know. Gosh, is it? Yeah, yeah. I've heard uh, stories to that effect as well. Just you know, the way things, <clears throat> the way things are taught to to, to the youth. Yeah, it's really. Um... Let me say one thing before we go to commercial, and I wanted to start with this, but then that great call from the kids came in. This show, like, I'm not an expert. Clearly, on these things, uh, I'm not a historical expert. I'm not a you know a political. I'm not an expert. But what I what I I care, I care about when I read the news. To me, it's not an abstraction. I care about the Palestinian old lady being brought down from the rubble. I care about the kids who have to go down into an air raid shelter because there's you know rockets being sent wantonly into their into their country. I care about them. And I'm constitution uh, my my the way I've been hardwired by our mom and dad and my life is, you know, if you said, oh, I'm having a hard time tying my shoe, I'd want to help figure out how to tie your shoe. You say, oh, there's these groups of people that hate each other and are killing each other. I'm like, well, how can we solve that? So what I want this show to be uh, is a place where people like the woman from Wisconsin can call in and say she's a conservative and say that she supports uh, Israel. And, uh, you know, Muhammad can call in from England and he can make what I'm sure will be a very verbose argument uh, in favor of the Palestinian people. And I want this in favor of peace. Well, OK, well, let's see. Let's see. Muhammad, call in the um, I shouldn't prejudge what I think he's going to do. I just know that he will have a very strident uh, argument to be made against what just ha- what, what's happening right now. And the, the side that he will take from a. If you have to, if you have to take see taking sides is hard too. But my point is, I want this to be a safe, a, a relatively safe space for people to call in, say what they think, say how they feel, and we can learn together. That's my that's my get out of jail free card for myself is is to say, I'm not an expert, but I am a person of goodwill, 
and I care about, you know, um, I, I, I want to contribute to a conversation, the ultimate object of which is peace. So let's go to commercial break, and Mac and I will try and figure out what the heck to talk about when we come back. Listen to the Vox Populi. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. The Soda Stream Soda Maker is fun as hell. The kids are going to love it. There's 50 different flavors, and it's healthy. There's no fructose, corn syrup, or aspartame. So pick one up at Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, Macy's, Kohl's, and Walmart. Or just go to Soda Stream. To leave your house to shop, to crawl through traffic to the mall, just to find the thing you wanted. Isn't even there at all. Amazon.com is the answer. Shop at home and style and ease. Find exactly what you want. Ordering your stuff's free. Books on tape. Games galore. Everything you're looking for. Kindle. Cameras. Electronics. Baby Einstein. Hooked on phonics. Blu-ray. Movies. And TV. Download. Music. MP3. Pixar. Disney. Microphones. Pet supplies and doggy bones. World of Warcraft. Nancy Drew. Sims. The Scruff. System 2. Click Amazon. You'll smile with glee. Sometimes shipping is even free. Does your car smell like you need scent bomb? Does your house smell like get some scent bomb? Does the bathroom smell like get some scent bomb? Go to GetSomeScentBomb.com today for the best air freshener you've ever tried. We are so confident that you will love Scent Bomb that we're giving away a free bottle to the next 12 customers to type in the promo code RADIO at checkout. If you're tired of weak air fresheners, try Scent Bomb. Scent Bomb is a concentrated air freshener, so all you need is just a couple of sprays and the smell will last for days. That's right, you spray it today and you still smell it tomorrow. We guarantee that it's the best air freshener you've ever tried. So go to GetSomeScentBomb.com and enter the promo code RADIO at checkout to get your free bottle today. There's nearly 100 fragrances to choose from. So go to GetSomeScentBomb.com. That's GetSomeScentBomb.com. With Gamefly, choose from over 6,000 titles. Play as long as you want and send them back when you're done. $8.95 to start, no late fees. Gamefly.com. Games delivered. A great website if you are in the market for gift-giving, redenvelope.com. They have over 300 unique and inspired new products along with their classic favorites that are going to make gift-giving very, very easy. All you have to do is go to redenvelope.com, enter Heidi and Frank at the checkout, and save 20%. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Welcome to hour number two of Vox Populi, a political talk show for people who spend more time managing their lives than their point of view. Here's your host, Sean Astin. out to the uh, people I know. Mac, did you hit uh, did you hit Muhammad with a question? No? I just did. Okay, cool. 
On, uh, did you put my name on it, or did you put Vox Populi on yes, it? Yes, I did. I tweeted, someone in California would love to hear from you, my friend. Oh, more ones are. All right, I'm gonna, I'll tweet him too real quick. Uh, and I also just hit some of my friends who uh, are, are really knowledgeable on uh, Israel. Um, what's that? Nothing. Play, um, okay, so, so the next um, bullet point in this conversation that we've been having, which ranges all over um, Petraeus and, and uh, Benghazi and... And we sort of built in Israel there. Uh, <clears throat> They're not far apart. The president of the United States yesterday uh, spoke in a manner that I had never – well, it, it was a, a direct kind of old school, you know, dueling language. Hmm. Uh, wh- who was it in the, in the history? What was the president was it who, uh, who was challenged to a duel? Oh, he wasn't president. Uh, Alexander Andrew Hamilton, Hamilton yeah. challenged to a duel by Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like that yesterday at the uh, at the White House press conference. Here, I'll play without the pistols and the. I don't know, man. The day is young. Uh, well, no. Listen, listen to this. Somebody asked him. Um, somebody asked him. One of the journalists. I wish I could remember who at, at the moment. But uh, what about this? Uh, Susan Rice, the ambassador of the United Nations, uh, angle. Uh, she was she was the one who. Uh, she right. was she's being t- called out for the way she responded, or the, what the official sort of response was to the attacks uh, on the American consulate, and uh, and as it was brought to bear later on, uh, some of the information that she spoke about turned out to be incorrect. Right. And, and Do you know where been, that is? You've been, been paying attention to this, right? I, I mean, you know, I, I read The point was, it, it went from this attack was, uh, was, was the outgrowth of a spontaneous demonstration that was a copycat demonstration like what had been happening in, in, real, in real time in Egypt in, in the Cairo office. As, as a response to uh, a horrifyingly insensitive uh, Yeah, provo- provocative. At- it, was a, it was an intentionally provocative kind of uh, hate thing. Yes. Um, but, which, by the way, had been out months before right. and was just being used by whoever it was that was orchestrating that. I guess, uh, I mean, you would have to presume that it was an Al-Qaeda structured um, mob, uh, I, would, I would assume. I mean, it's it, tough when we I mean, we don't know. I'm sitting here in Hollywood. Labels, but, well, you know? well, okay. So, but anyhow, apparently, since then, it has come out, incontrovertibly, that there was no protest at all in Benghazi. And that the, uh, I, the attack I, on the embassy was uh, something uh, else well, clearly the Well, clearly the attack on the embassy by any standard was a, uh, a coordinated attack by, uh, by whoever, by al-Qaeda, or it was they were using rockets and mortars and, you know, it was a coordinated, it was, it was, a, it was, a, military, it was a military attack. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I heard uh, relatively recently um, from a source very close to the former director of the Central Intelligence Agency that uh, perhaps there, there were CIA prisoners that were being held within the consulate. Well, now, settle down, settle down, <laughs> slow down. Listen, I'm just repeating what I see uh, on television. Right? Well, no, but that apparently was – well, okay. Hey, I, I was picking the thread up of that, and basically it was – that was something that was uttered by uh, by Broad, Broadwell. Broadwell. I don't know why I can't – Paula Broadwell. Paul, Paul, uh, right? 
uh, which was a, which would have been a a breach of a disclosure of some kind of I don't know what I read on 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 Fox on that one. But the point the let's get back for a second to um, I, I first of all have not seen and I know that my uh, Twitter followers are going to uh, set me straight here in a minute. But who is it that said there was zero uh, demonstration? I not, not just that it was it was clearly an attack, coordinated attack. And I had kind of thought when it was when in the day the day or two right afterwards when Brett had kind of said that he thought it was a smokescreen. He called it, in my you know he was the first person to bring my attention to that idea that it was uh, that that was a cover, that the the the, de- uh, the demonstration was a cover for this coordinated attack. But now somebody somewhere has said apparently with great authority, that, except that I haven't heard the an intelligent source on the ground in Libya told Fox News that there was no demonstration outside the U.S. consulate. Right, but has anybody from the United States government verified that? Well. Right. So. Uh, I don't. Uh, maybe they have. Maybe. I, I haven't heard the president and, I, and uh, you know, Susan Rice, the ambassador, certainly hasn't come out and said, I'm so sorry I got that wrong. Uh, it's, it, a lot of it feels like this kind of tortured manipulation of, of language. You know, and and people are trying to create a. I don't know. There's. Uh, let me not use this moment on this show to try and adjudicate that. I'm she, just trying to say that Susan Rice came out in the days after and said that, based on the information they had at that moment, she used that qualifier uh-huh. that the attacks were uh, an outgrowth of a spontaneous copycat demonstration that had been going on in Cairo. Oh, by the way, it was also going on in Yemen and there was some other place. So it had been reported. Clearly, uh, popular opinion, Fox News and subsequent um, cables that were sent from the base, uh, from the the, uh, consulate and so forth, said that, you know, show that they were under serious military attack. So the outrage is why would the Obama administration in the form of two people that I can see, the press secretary, the White House press secretary from the press room in the White House, and then Susan Rice, who had gone out on all the Sunday shows in the days immediately following it and repeated this, um, you know, version of... Uh, of Interpretation of events. Well, this this... Whatever you want to call it, this the intelligence that was the, the 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 best intelligence, or at least the intelligence that the CIA and or the White House and or the State Department wanted to run with. So whether they knew more about what was going on and didn't want to focus on that, or they wanted to put out some disinformation, or whether they simply were repeating what they were told very quickly, which seems a bit, you know, prejudiced. I don't know why. They would race out unless it was to calm international fears, you know, to have the U.N. ambassador who many countries are looking at, you know, is the so on and so forth, whatever, whatever public. They chose to put that story out there. Why is not clear Uh, what the administration is saying is because that was the best information they had at the moment that presentation, you know, Obama here. So anyhow, Republicans are in outrage about Susan Rice and want her head on a pike and uh and so they've been going after her regularly for two months and the the, the, um 
White House hasn't defended her a lick that I've been able to see until yesterday when the president was. And I mean, I mean that's what I can see. I don't know. I'm not a uh, you know, I'm not the grand poobah on this stuff. But anyhow, here's what President Obama responded to. Oh, then her name was pitched as a potential successor to Hillary Clinton, which yes. I found shocking uh, because she has such a. Uh, bad profile right now because of this Benghazi. You know, that's all anybody knows right now about what this woman has done is give information that was not correct uh, to the world during, you know, the big terrorist incident, you know, uh, that media has been covering. You know, he, the fact that her name was being, I was shocked that they would choose her before all this was settled. And then, uh, but apparently a major pissing contest between um uh, Lindsey Graham, Senator, Republican Senator, and Republican Senator John McCain, who apparently still doesn't realize that he lost the election in 08. Boom. Um, uh, their, their attacks on this lady and on the White House, this is how Obama in his first press conference responded to uh, the question suggesting that they would, those senators would block a nomination of her for Secretary of State if he were to make that. So here's what Obama said. Mm. Sorry. He starts off slow. He has done exemplary okay. work. They did they have, by the way, uh, said that he has, she has confidence. She has Okay, here we go. But let me say specifically about Susan Rice. She has done exemplary work. She has represented the United States and our interests in the uh, United Nations with skill and professionalism and toughness and grace. As I've said before, she made an appearance at the request of the White House in which she gave her best understanding of the intelligence that had been provided to her. If Senator McCain and Senator Graham and others want to go after somebody, they should go after me. And I'm happy to have that discussion with them. But for them to go after the UN ambassador, who had nothing to do with Benghazi, and was simply making a presentation based on intelligence that she had received, and to, to besmirch her reputation, is outrageous. And, uh, you know, we're after an election now. Hello, hello. You're, uh, Yo. you're calling to Vox Populi. Who's this? Dan Adler. Big Dan. Oh. My candidate. My liege, my friend. Uh, What's I, up, Sean Aston? Hey there. I just broke into our, We were playing um, uh, President Obama's, uh, you know, full-throated defense, combative defense of... Uh, of uh, Ambassador Rice yesterday, and we, we're going to kind of go into that. But uh, but we, you are. Um, let me just say for the audience that we are friends, and that you, Dan Adler, are uh, were a, a candidate for Congress, and I managed your congressional campaign. And among the many ways that you distinguish yourself in that campaign, your um, alacrity and experience and understanding of uh, uh, your expertise in 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 all things related to Israel was uh, was really uh, was, was was noted by uh, all of the players in that campaign, and I love that you're calling in right now because 
I, I need a little help setting the context of what's happening now for uh, for my audience. So help help me out. Uh, well, unfortunately, there are tensions that are boiling over in a region where uh, where there had been relative calm. Uh, although that calm has been interrupted over the last several days by a continuing barrage of rockets being fired from the Gaza Strip into, um, for the last several days, the southern part of Israel. Uh, thankfully, most of those rockets landed in places where they did no damage, although uh, unfortunately, I think today three people were killed when one of those rockets hit an apartment building. <clears throat> Israel, which tends to exercise a lot of patience um, as a sovereign nation that is having its border violated and rockets fired, um, finally reached, I think, a point of saying enough and I think it communicated to the forces in Gaza that they ought to stop. And I think they also communicated to the international community, and I believe to the U.N., um, that they felt more than justified in defending their own civilian population. Um, and then Israel decided, uh, unable to sort of bear more of that, to begin retaliating. And, of course, the apex of that retaliation came yesterday when – uh, they bombed, I believe, a vehicle in which was the one of the Hamas heads, uh, as well as several of his bodyguards and others. Um, and obviously that invited more retaliation from uh, Hamas in the Gaza side. Although I have not been able to listen to it, my understanding is that the prime minister just recently uh, made the point that Israel has been very targeted in what it has done in trying to go back into Gaza. It has been leafleting Gaza, uh, flying planes from above and dropping leaflets on people telling them to get away from any places where munitions may be stored. Uh, and more importantly, he has made the point that Israel has been trying to attack um, those who are firing these rockets indiscriminately and ultimately against civilian populations uh, and doing it, you know, sort of in in ways that they think is, are reasonable, um, whereas the rockets coming from Gaza are being fired with the primary purpose of inflicting as much damage as can be inflicted on a civilian population. So that's do they, unfortunately Dan, do they where, think, do they, where it is. Do you, does Hamas... You know, the, the uh, just whoever it is with Hamas that's firing the rockets today. Do, do you think they have a an expectation that it's going to be successful? That they're going to achieve some sort of a political aim by doing that? Uh, yeah, if the political aim is to provoke Israel into an action that can be positioned to the rest of the world as Israel going into Gaza and wreaking havoc in Gaza, then by continuing to push Israel into such an action, uh, if they succeed, that would be measured as a great success by that measure, if that's their measure. In other words, there are many who believe that it is not in Hamas's interest for there to be a short or long-term peace solution in the region. Keep in mind, 
which was true, you know, 18 months ago when we were debating this issue publicly uh, or part of a debate of this issue publicly, and then there was a temporary solution to this that no longer exists, that the problem is that it's not a two-state solution that's being addressed right here because Hamas and Fatah, uh, Fatah being the Palestinian authority entity that controls the West Bank versus Hamas, the authority that uh, is in control of Gaza, are themselves not at all at peace with each other nor in agreement. They did announce a period ago, I forget exactly when, that they were going to form a unity government, but they've not been able to hold elections or to stick to that unity government. So you have two Palestinian factions fighting with each other, and then both of them wanting also to fight with Israel. So the Hamas story is a very effective story when it positions um, Israel as you know, wreaking havoc in Gaza. Again, the analogy that the Prime Minister has made, the observation that President Obama made, the observation I believe that Candidate Romney made, the observation that the mayor of Los Angeles made when he was there, is it would be as if uh, we were being fired on from a border south of the United States of America into a place like San Diego, and after having a 100 rockets fired, um, you know, would certainly be expected to take action. The, the big change that happened today is for the first time since the Scud missiles were fired by uh, Hussein in the Gulf War, uh, air raid sirens went off in Tel Aviv and a rocket actually reached as far into Israel as Tel Aviv. So that's the first time in many years that that has happened, and the fear now is that that will again, you know, uh, be be an event that will will further escalate this. Um, All right, Ruby, I, I, I don't think, know how many more minutes I have with you because I know you're you're always pretty busy, but I, I want so uh, so Israel has decided that it's worth the risk of having its reputation blackened around the world by being painted in this in this way with the collateral damage and so forth because of the immediate threat of of these rockets landing in their populated areas what about and apparently it's called up 30,000 reservists what about Egypt and what about uh, the rest of their I mean can Israel defend itself on on multiple fronts um, well, the the other piece of news that's happened in the last 24 hours is Egypt, for the first time uh, since the Second Intifada, recalling its ambassador and apparently announcing just a few hours ago that the prime minister may, in fact, go to Gaza tomorrow. Uh, it, it's a complicated set of circumstances, and even sort of the way we all talk about it is part of the problem. Again, think in our terms, living in Southern California, of what would happen if, let's say, Mexico would be firing rockets indiscriminately on San Diego for several days or actually one could argue several years, um, and we, the United States, deciding whether to stand idly by, hoping that those rockets would inflict no damage, or deciding that we would go in and counter. The problem is that when Israel goes in and retaliates for rockets being fired on civilian areas, um, Israel is positioned as the aggressor. What prompted the action the other day this week is that one of the rockets uh, or something was fired over the border 
into Israel where a vehicle was patrolling the Israeli-Gaza border, and I believe four soldiers were in that vehicle. Um, they were injured, thankfully not killed, but the missile or whatever it was went literally right through the vehicle in, in one side and out the other side. So each of these events is apparently being designed to provoke Israel into doing something uh, which any sovereign nation would have done long ago, but Israel has been trying to test its patience um, in not doing. And it's a question, therefore, of whether Israel stands by its need to defend its citizens or its need to sort of play uh, PR on a global stage. Where Egypt fits in it is, of course, in the wake of the Muslim Brotherhood's um, ascension to power there, you know, a question that remains to be seen since there still is a peace treaty in effect between Israel and Egypt that was signed in 1979 um, between Sadat and uh, and uh, Israel at that point. And, um, you know, also there's a lot of money that comes from the U.S. government to Egypt as part of that deal. So there are a lot of other forces at play, and my understanding is that the uh, president of Egypt did speak to President Obama earlier, um, and, you know, there is an attempt to get, uh, you know, all forces sort of in in alignment with each other. But, again, the, the problem remains that, uh, you know, you have – uh, fired out of Gaza into civilian populations in Israel with the point of trying to inflict damage, rockets on an ongoing basis for days and days, weeks and weeks, months and months, and ultimately years. And other than Operation Cast Lead several years ago that went in to try to eliminate some of the rocket firing capabilities, um, you have this continuing process. And you have weapons that are coming in through uh, tunnels uh, that go to Egypt, allegedly coming in from Iran and others. And furthermore, you also have this habit of using civilian areas, whether it's schools or hospitals, as places from which uh, to fire rockets and in which munitions are stored, which again, you know, allows for essentially human shields to be used for the cover of these things such that if Israel decides to retaliate, God forbid they end up risking uh, taking out, you know, these, these human shield populations. So it is a difficult and horrible situation, and unfortunately, uh, you know, it looks like it's being fought in a way to inflict the most possible damage politically, public relations-wise, and, you know, most importantly, loss of human loss-wise, loss life-wise. Can, all right, so Lee, I'm sure you got to go, but t- just what would you I'm leave here. us? I'm yours. What would you? Um, well, okay. So, so I'm just trying to think of what would I do to solve it? Sure. What would you? Or yeah, what? Uh, I want to know what likely is going to happen right now. I want. I mean, is is this? Uh, the, what, the what big are the question dominoes? is whether Israel will escalate its uh, defensive actions into going in on the ground as they did several years ago, or whether they will continue to either monitor from the sky or to uh, do actions from the sky using their air force. What would you advocate um, for them to do? Well, I, I don't have access to any of the information that would allow me to make that decision. Uh, what I would like to see happen would be, you know, some ceasing of hostilities immediately. What I would dream of happening would be for a peaceful coexistence um un- unfortunately there there seem to be a lot of obstacles to that happening my my honest um my, my real belief 
is that peace will only be achieved when there is face-to-face dialogue and, you know, a real desire for meaningful long-term peace. I know that there are every person I've ever met on any side of the equation when face-to-face with the other side of the equation, um, you know, is civil, is humane, and is looking for the same goal of finding a way for peaceful coexistence. I think the problem is that those in control, those who have access to, um, you know, power and ultimately weapons uh, believe that their their path to success is to continue to keep this as a you know great uh, flashpoint for for conflict and ultimately continue officially to you know call for the destruction of Israel so on the other side you have never seen Israel call for the destruction of anybody uh, the fact that the situation is what it is and that Gaza wor- operates under the conditions it does um, is an unfortunate reflection of the fact that Israel unilaterally pulled out of Gaza and left it to be governed by its own people and Hamas stepped into that void and adopted a very you know far uh, you know to the extreme position uh, that probably is at odds with many of the million and a half people who live there. There is a small number of people who you know want to use Gaza for its political purposes. There are a million and a half citizens who most probably would like to live peacefully in an area they control in uh, you know a neighborly relationship with the Israelis. Um, and there probably is a path to peace along those lines, but it is an issue of who's willing to make that peace. And and Hillary and 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 President Obama, uh, you know, Secretary Clinton and President Obama should be should be doing just uh, just back channel stuff right now, or they should be making public statements or going to the region or nothing or. Um, well, the president is after he goes to New York. I think tomorrow going over to uh, Asia, so he could easily. He's going to Burma and other places. He could make a quick stop. Uh, I, I don't know what they should be doing. I'm sure there is an enormous amount of back-channeling going on right now. Again, the issue is whether people are you know, positioning or actually really looking for solutions. Um, and I think that if the leadership of Hamas in the Gaza Strip um, you know, would be willing to uh, step up to a table and have a serious negotiation. I don't know a single Israeli who would not be willing to give considerably to find some version of a true and lasting peace. But, um, you know, firing rockets on an ongoing basis doesn't get one there too quickly. Uh, and again, escalating it into something that becomes a global issue, uh, you know, may serve political ends, but it probably doesn't encourage peace uh, quickly. All right, I'm about. I'm about to but jump on. You should on get on a plane and go there, Sean. And, <laughs> I should. And uh, here's what and I'm gonna do in the short term: use your you... skills of persuasion uh, <laughs> to get people to see the light. Uh, well, I may be able to do that in the uh, in the. There's there's a guy named Mohammed that I'm going to talk to. He's in uh, in England. He calls in as a very strong advocate uh, from the Arab side. If you can listen to it, or if you want to, if you uh, want... I'll happily stay on. Okay, cool. Hold on one sec. Um, I'm going to put you on hold, Dr. Dan. It's so, oh, there he is. Okay. Sorry, wrong thing. Hold on. Hello. Oh, hi. It's Mohammed. Mohammed, I'm so glad you're calling in. Good, good. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. I'm going to, um, I'm going to, 
uh, if I can put, have us all on. Uh, Dan, you're not on with me, are you? No. Okay. Muhammad, my, uh, a guy named Dan Adler, who I've been friends with for 20 years, uh, ran for Congress here. And, uh, and I, uh, I, was his I served as his campaign manager. Uh, yeah. we, we, were not, uh, we were not successful in our bid. But uh, there were several um, debates. One was on Israel, and he's got a lot of ties uh, to Israel and has done work on, uh, on all sides of the issue trying to advocate for peace. I'm going to have him listen in, and, and maybe we'll have a, a, a. Is that all right? Can we have that conversation? Yeah, of course. As you know me, I'm, I'm nice and relaxed, and we'll just we'll just take it as it comes. No problem. All right, hold on. Let me see how to do this. Dan, are you there? Mohammed, can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. All right, hold on. I'm still working this technology here. Dan, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yes. All right, so I've got Mohammed, but I'm trying to figure out how to get us both on the phone at the same time. Johnny, come on over here and show me. Uh, I want him at the same time. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Mohammed's easy going and uh, less provoked, but like you, you, I think you guys would be really good. Let me just uh, update the listeners. Okay, so we have um, uh, Mohammed Ansar is about to be on the phone with us, as well as um, Dan Adler. So we've got a really good. Um, this is going to be a great conversation. I'm, I'm, if we, uh, if you guys want to learn about the Israeli-Palestine situation, this is a, this is a really smart call. that's about to happen. Okay, Mohammed, can you hear me? I can hear you fine, Chuck. And Dan, can you hear Mohammed? Yes, I can. Nice to meet you virtually, Mohammed. Nice to meet you too, Dan. So I just spent some good time with Dan, uh, kind of unpacking. Uh, what uh, what he sees happening on the ground right now, Do you, Mohammed? If you could give uh, just spend a minute and, and characterize how you think it's what you think is happening right now. I think for um, from a personal point of view and a professional point of view, obviously I'm a, I'm a, a, a political and social commentator here here in the uh, UK on, on a lot of these issues. Um, it's really important to position, I think, accurately for people who are looking from the outside. Uh, looking at the media reports, listening to what's happening, and seeing it as, as we would say, six of one and half a dozen of another. They they will see news reports saying that uh, Hamas and the Palestinians have been firing uh, Qassam and, uh, and other rockets into Israeli territory, and Israel are naturally just responding accordingly and looking to defend themselves. And I think the first step would be to, to clear up any misconceptions around that. We have to remember, first and foremost, that Gaza is effectively an open refugee camp. There are something like 1.6 million Palestinians living in this area. 75% of those people living there are refugees. Of those refugees, 50% are living in eight uh, refugee camps in Gaza. They are 90% dependent on aid. That makes them the most aid-dependent region in the world and technically makes them one of the most impoverished regions in the world, if not the most impoverished region in the world. They have an incredibly young age profile. Somewhere in the region of 800 to 850,000 of them are below the age of 18. Now, we can argue and, and debate and discuss the attacks in Operation Cast Lead in 2008, four years ago. Um, but what we do know is that... Uh, Amnesty International went in afterwards, and there were a number of violations of, of human rights on the Israeli side, including attacking ambulances, schools, universities, and even UN enclaves. But one of the things we did notice is that um, 
throughout all of those attacks, Amnesty said that there was nowhere for the people to go. Because Israel controls the border, and, and for, for your callers and your listeners, remember one thing, that the Gaza Strip, we are talking about a tiny, tiny slice of land, which is about four miles across, 25 miles long, and in round figures, about 150 square miles. It's not very big. And 1.6 million people densely populated in there. Amnesty International essentially said there's, there's nowhere for these people to go. Now, in the early 2000s, uh, the U.S., the West, Europe, EU, a number of regions and countries uh, asked for democratic elections to take place. Those democratic elections went ahead. And 24 out of roughly about 80, 84 um, uh, areas voted for Hamas to be the democratically elected leaders. Now, we may not like that. We may not like that. But what then followed was particularly uh, difficult because we saw U.S. money going into uh, Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority, who essentially waged war against Hamas. And Hamas had essentially no option um, other than to um, take control back in um, uh, 2007, back from the Palestinian Authority, to say, well, we've won the democratic vote and the democratic election for this area, including uh, Gaza, and now we have to fight for it to represent it properly. So we have lawfully and democratically elected leaders of, a, of an area where they're doing the best they can for those people, but they have a blockade at, on the sea border, on the 25-mile sea border with the Mediterranean Sea. There is a blockade on the Egyptian side and the, on the Israeli side, and these poor, poor people are kettled they're poor, they're hungry, they're scared, they're fearful. And, the, 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 and I'm trying to be as balanced as possible, but you know, Israel is, is reputedly, arguably, uh, a, a nuclear state. It receives between, anywhere between three and five billion pounds of funding from the US. It is, in the region, a superpower. And it has the uh, technological, the military capacity, and an overwhelming uh, uh, strike force to be able to attack these poor people who are effectively in an open cage on the on so the edge of So why would Hamas launch the if that, uh, that I made this case a little just before Dan came on Dan will I'll pull you in in a second here but why would Hamas then if it's advocating for its people fire those rockets what are they attempting to achieve by doing that One of the yeah I think the rockets thing is really really interesting because um, if you want to address it islamically and I and I, and I think we can look at it politically and uh, in a humanitarian context without looking at it religiously. However, just practical, just talk to me practically. Who, somebody's firing rockets against the people that are clearly going to defend itself and have superior military uh, and technological overmatch. Why would they do that? Okay, let me come back to you on that. Um, one of the things we know about um, the rockets that are being launched in 10 years, 10 years, hundreds and hundreds of rockets have been launched from the uh, Palestinian territories from Gaza towards Israel. There's no question about that. However, Israel has this iron dome, effect, I think they call it an iron dome, which shoots down rockets. And the Israeli casualties over 10 years have totaled 10. 10 Israeli, I think we've had three today. I can't imagine that, Dan, I can't imagine you're going to agree with that figure. 
Well, okay, but but they have it, It's not an issue of whether one agrees with it. It's an issue of, of the fact that they haven't inflicted more damage is something to be grateful and thankful for, but that doesn't excuse the activities. I mean, I'm not responding to all of the other things that Mohammed said, some of which you know I can agree with and some of which I would take serious issue with, but, but just focus on that last comment. To say that if, for example, Mexico were firing rockets into San Diego for 10 years, and thank God that they didn't do much damage or, or kill many people would not be a reason why the United States would therefore say, oh, that's great, so they're trying to make a political point and will respect their ability to make that political point. Yes, it's true that Hamas was democratically elected. Yes, it's true, in fact, that our United States government helped call for those elections. Yes, it's true that Hamas is trying to make its points. And yes, it's also true that there are 1.5-plus million people living in a very small uh, geographic area. However, it is also true that Israel unilaterally pulled out of that area to leave control to um, what ended up being Hamas. It wasn't issued to the Palestinian Authority. Okay? It's also true that Israel does not enforce a blockade for any kind of humanitarian issue. And it's also true, by the way, that the Egyptian border itself is at times opened up. And whatever criticism one wants to level against Israel, one can also level against Egypt for not allowing um, the citizens of, of the Gaza Strip to go into Egypt. And lastly, uh, in terms of big points, the four to five million pounds uh, of U.S. aid is actually, I believe, much smaller a number than that. And it's also, uh, you know, has a comparable number, as we were talking about before Mohammed got on the phone, uh, of aid that goes to Egypt as well. And, of course, enormous aid that comes through UNRWA, the United Nations Refugees Relief Organization, and uh, all sorts of other um, entities to the Gaza Strip. Now, the problem is, I believe that the U.S. government recognizes Hamas as uh, still an entity with which they will not have any, um, you know, direct interaction uh, because of its status as a terrorist organization, and therefore we cannot give money, the U.S. government cannot give money directly to Hamas, but there's an incredible amount of aid that goes into the Gaza Strip. There is a booming economy in many parts of the country, there's a huge, I mean, many parts of the region. There are enormous initiatives in new media and other companies that have been launched there, and there's an incredible amount of stuff that's happening with a population, which I agree with your description, you know, is, is um, you know, living under very difficult circumstances. But those circumstances are largely a result of the, you know, government that is controlling its people, not of, you know, what the million and a half people necessarily want. I thought they were democratically elected, Dan. They were democratically elected at a time when the alternative was a corrupt Palestinian authority and when very wisely Hamas went into the, the Gaza Strip and provided medical services, um, food, uh, education for children, and a bunch of other infrastructure that was not being provided or not being provided well or effectively or probably without corruption uh, from the PA. And in light of that, when it came to a democratic election and people were asked whether they wanted to support um, you know, what they had seen as a corrupt Palestinian authority or whether they wanted the alternative, which stayed away from its ideological positions and instead focused on its humanitarian work, many of them, you know, understandably so, went for the one that was providing its humanitarian services. All right, so I... Um, I Dan, can I come I, back to you on a couple of those issues, if that's okay? I, I interrupted um, you, sure. I, I interrupted you, uh, Mohammed, uh, because the, the, the figure seemed weird to me, but Dan basically agreed, so I apologize for challenging that figure. No, no, seemed... no, that's okay. There, there, there's an awful lot of misconception here. 
and it's very difficult when we follow the mainstream news sources. Firstly, because the Israelis have allowed no embedded journalists to be in Gaza, I know there's one guy on uh, Twitter called at Harry Fear, as it sounds, Harry the name and then Fear is in to be scared. Harry Fear, he has a Ustream channel, I know, and, and he provides, he's in Gaza City and he provides on the ground live coverage and literally bombs are going off and his building is shaking and that's going on around him. And, and so other than that, all of the other embedded journalists are on the Israeli side. Now, a couple of things that Dan said I really need to uh, uh, address. Firstly, you said Israel provides no blockade. Well, just no, he said humanitarian. Years, he said no humanitarian blockade. Absolutely, absolutely. And just two or three years ago, we saw the Mavi Marmara, which was a flotilla which carried not only um, politicians but activists and humanitarian aid to um, Gaza, which was stopped in the middle of the uh, the, the sea. Um, not even in, in uh, Israeli waters, actually. It was uh, attacked by helicopters. Uh, Israeli um, paratrooper uh, para, uh, forces came out of the helicopters, descended the ships, and then shot, I think it was a dozen people, they may, may have been slightly less, dead. And that has been roundly set upon in the, in the international uh, 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 media and by human rights organizations and Amnesty International. So, firstly, they were just taking humanitarian aid, food, uh, building equipment, medical supplies. They now, weren't now, only taking humanitarian aid. Hey, Dan, let, I don't Dan, think let we him, need to go back Dan, three Dan, years. Dan, 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 Dan let him finish. Your comment was, no, Israel does not block humanitarian aid. And I think if, if there's, there's more nuance to it than that, and I think one thing we have to be clear is that humanitarian aid has been stopped. One of the things I wanted to address also is that if we look back at what happened in 2008, because the general consensus seems to be that this is going to look like Operation Cast Lead 2.0. When we look at what happened in 2008, um, in North Gaza, just as a small example, in North Gaza, the figures we had, uh, UN-approved figures, after the attack, uh, the uh, cessation of the attack in, in January of 2009, was that 26 bombs were falling on every square kilometre in North Gaza and 172 women and children were killed there. On Gaza City itself, we had 13 bombs dropping on every square kilometer, and this is one of the most densely populated places on the planet, uh, where there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide and no safe zones, and you cannot even cross the border. We had 13 bombs dropping on every square kilometer, and it killed 113 women and children. On day one of the attack, on day one of the attack in 2008, almost 300 people were killed. Now, we are not talking about two equal forces, and I think there is a myth which is being peddled, and that myth needs to be debunked, which is that somehow this is a war. When it's stones versus tanks, when it's paper airplanes versus airstrikes, you have to remember that the missiles coming from Gaza are falling on a vastly depopulated area. Other than Sturrot and, and, and a couple of other places in and around that area, that is essentially a de populated zone. That, that region where those missiles are dropping is, is largely depopulated. This is, for the first time this evening, we've seen a missile able to reach Tel Aviv. It may well have fell in the sea, as the Israeli authorities are saying, but we know that the air sirens went off in Tel Aviv this evening, and it's the first time since the end of the Gulf War that we've heard those air sirens going off. But this explains why the, these, are, these are homemade munitions which are being fired into the air as some pathetic and pitiful resistance towards Israeli aggression. 
People in Gaza are under siege. And let's remember one thing. These are the people, that is their, they are the indigenous people of that land, right? It, it would be absolutely absurd for the um, Australians to take over, uh, for, for uh, Europeans to take over Australia, and then when the Aboriginals are, are throwing spears back at the Westerners, we are saying, oh, look at their aggression. This is absolutely an appalling and revisionist account of history. And we have to be very, very careful and very, very clear about Western exceptionalism in terms of saying, well, actually, somehow Western or Israeli interests or Israeli lives have vastly more uh, 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 weight attached to them than the lives of Palestinians. Uh, on the contrary, the Israelis repeatedly have gone out of their ways to communicate to the people of Gaza and the people around the globe. And by the way, remember, I am not a representative in any way of the Israeli government. I have somebody who spends a lot of time in Israel, spends a lot of time in the West Bank, deals with all sorts of Arab Israelis, Palestinians, and others, Muslims, Christians, and Jews, and believes that all of them, um, you know, ought to be fairly represented and all beings. But, you know, I don't think it's helpful in this conversation, unless we're going to do this for a couple of days rather than a few more minutes, to go and start history lessons on, you know, who who is where in the region doing what to whom, nor do I think it's very constructive to go back and talk about the flotilla, which we all know, by all accounts, including all sorts of reports, many of which were subsequently recanted, okay, that the flotilla was warned that it would be coming into waters that were officially recognized by the international community as being under a blockade. Israel repeatedly warned the members of the flotilla not to enter those waters or threatened that they would come on and do something to those ships. I actually have met with and spoken with paratroopers who were on uh, and part of that process, you may remember that they went on the ships unarmed for the most part. You may remember that they did all sorts of things to try to both decrease whatever may have developed and also to respect human life, but to do it in such a way that was recognizing what was happening. And what was happening was an act of provocation, which is the same thing that we're describing here in, in terms of what's been happening coming out of Gaza. Again, the fact that the rockets are made by individuals, okay, if that's true, rather than brought in from Iran, the fact that they are falling on not densely populated areas, and the fact that they are, thank God, not killing many people, do not in any way forgive the action that is meant to provoke. And furthermore, the fact that Israel ends up, when retaliating for that aggression, having to fire into areas that have civilian populations, is done at great, great great attempt to minimize that warnings okay literally dialed to hundreds of thousands of cell phones which no army on the face of the earth goes through the trouble to do flyers dropped by into civilian populations telling people to get out of the way of what is going to happen bombs that are only sound bombs being dropped on munitions factories first to warn people to get out of the way before their live ammunition okay but when a a, a government chooses to use civilian shields of children in schools and of victims in hospitals, then unfortunately there are going to be civilian casualties. And when the belief is that a civilian casualty is, you know, in defense of its land, 
um, somehow acceptable. I, I, Israel does not believe it is or should be acceptable. And you will note, even you know earlier this week, the the trouble that Israel goes through to try to minimize any civilian casualty and the risk that Israel puts itself at over and over and over again. And I'd be more than happy uh, to put you face to face with. Hang on, hang on, hang on, Mohammed. Hang on, finish. Hold on. You said Mohammed. Hold on one second. Mohammed. Mohammed, yeah, just hold, just hold on one second. Finish your point, Dan. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Ask my question. All right, go for it. No, thank you. Netanyahu said exactly the same thing today, which he said he he wanted to have surgical strikes and he wanted to go and minimize uh, uh, civilian casualties. Uh, in 2008, and and the only reason I'm talking about 2008 is it gives us a very accurate template, and there's nothing to suggest that Israel is going to behave in any way differently. In 2008, we know that Israel used white phosphorus. We know that they killed 23 emergency medical personnel. They've injured 50. We know they fired on medical teams. We know today reports from Gaza are telling us that they fired on ambulances. We know that in 2008, they, Israel systematically targeted hospitals, food supplies, as I've said, UN enclaves, and press agencies as well as schools and universities. We know that uh, in Gaza, there is nowhere for Palestinian families to run. There are no safe zones. They are so heavily populated. They have the seventh highest growth rate on the planet. They're one of the most densely populated regions and one of the most important. Right, but Mohammed, Mohammed, people probably Mohammed, should not Dan, be firing rockets Dan, from those places. Dan, Dan, Dan hold on one second, Dan. Mohammed, Mohammed, Mohammed. How can you have Mohammed, accurate strike? Mohammed, this is this is. Uh, the question that I interrupt you on when we talked about when you mentioned the the low number of uh, of fatalities on the Israeli side over over a period of time, I interrupt the point I was I had asked you and that you were starting to respond to was why would they fire those rockets from there? Who's going to benefit? I mean, I understand that if if uh, th there, there's a feeling of frustration, there's a feeling of like desperation if they're homemade. Uh, if they are indeed homemade, like Dan said, as opposed to stuff that's coming in either financed by or shuttled through Iran from, from Iran or anybody else, the uh, wh why would the leadership disadvantage its people by shooting those rockets? It doesn't seem in their that's interest. A fair question. It's a, Sean, it's a, Sean, it's a good question, and I always like your questions because you're very fair and you're very balanced, and this is far from being that news network. Um, uh, the, in, 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 in response to that, in response to that, the, the, the reason I spoke to Dan and I, and, I, and, I, and I spoke in such a way to look back at our history and our um, recollection of history is that that is their land. That is their land. And for the last four, So you're five, saying it's an emotional reason, what the reason they're launching those... No, no, those no, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Hold on a second. Look, um, if I... If, if, I don't know if you're in L.A. tonight, but if you're, if you're in L.A. and... Um, I came along with an army, and I'm not proposing to, so all you on the far right, calm down. If I came with an army and I put Los Angeles to siege for four years, and people were starving to death, and you were hungry, and I was blockading aid that was coming in, Gaza has effectively been under siege for four years. Four years, and we have ludicrous numbers of deaths and horrific um, conditions in those eight refugee camps. People are living in an open uh, in an open prison. They are effectively in an open cage under siege. Uh, after what period of time would people in Los Angeles start shooting over the wall? After, after what period of time would you start making homemade but, munitions but Dan, and throwing them at me? But Dan made this point earlier about how um, Hamas had filled a humanitarian void by providing 
education and other social services, and, and this is what enabled their democratic victory. These are not these are not stupid people. These are it's it's such a the, the logical disconnect. I mean, there must be some other political goal to be gained by throwing those rockets against uh, a, an anguished flailing of a of an impoverished people. There must be some other strategic goal for them. There must there must be. Dan, what? Wait, wait, there's a region that gets more aid than almost any region on the face of the earth. And and by the way, your comment about journalists. The ones who behead journalists are Hamas. Israeli, the Israelis suffer from the fact that they have an entirely free and open media and press. It has caused them far more problems than, than it should over time because it is a free and open society. Okay? Well, you, might there, want there are... to to, you might want to talk to Rachel Corrie's family about that before you start accusing the Israelis of some kind of moral exceptionism when it comes to treating journalists. Rachel Corrie was wearing a press uh, uh, flax jacket and in broad daylight w was shot and killed by Israeli soldiers. So let's, let's just, let's just let's wind down the rhetoric slightly on, on uh, body counts because this is kind well, of... Mohammed, Mohammed, your, your, uh, accusation, your accusation stands, no, the bat, that, as, that Israel targeted media operations and, and it went after killing... Just today, just today, my friends at the BBC, and I'm a contributor regularly on BBC One, and you can look me up on YouTube if you're not sure, but my friends from the BBC have reported that um, uh, Jihal, Jihad al-Mashawi, uh, his 11-month-old son, he works for BBC Arabic in Gaza, his 11-month-old son yeah. was killed yeah. as an Israeli airstrike fell on his house yeah. killed his sister-in-law and killed his 11-month-old son. And he's shown on Al Jazeera and the BBC this afternoon and this evening crying, pleading to the camera and saying, what did my son do? Are you asserting but, that again, he was targeted? Go back to what Sean asked before, Mohammed. Why? That there are diplomatic channels that can be entered into to try to address the issues that you're describing. It is Let's why, in particular, Israel unilaterally pulled out of Gaza and nearly ripped its own country apart to do it amidst much turmoil and much criticism and much disagreement inside its country, believing that if it pulled out of Gaza and gave Gaza to the control of the people who wanted to control it, that Israel would be in a stronger position overall to be closer to peace. And they ripped their country apart, they pulled settlers out of Gaza, and they ripped them from their homes, and thank God there was no blood shed in doing it. If you want to have discussions, if there want to be negotiations, there are channels to do it. Firing rockets indiscriminately until you push people into a point of saying enough already after a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand over ten years the fact that thank god they haven't done much killing is a nice fact but it does not change the dynamics of what sean asked the question about why why use that as a means of provocation so that israel needs to do something in order to protect a civilian population I'm happy to. Do you know what? That is a really great point, Dan, because I think talking, advocacy, diplomacy has to be the way forward. And let's look at some of the diplomacy. In, in 2008, in November 2008, the six-month-old ceasefire between Hamas and Israel was broken by Israel when they killed six Palestinians. Hamas then fired 35 rockets into Israel, causing no losses, 
Israel then responded within a month with massive airstrikes, killing 257 people and injuring 597 people on one day. This is Israeli diplomacy. And anybody who knows about the region and can look up these facts, these are, I mean, these are, these are well, not... By the way, if people want to start looking up facts, they can just take the last one you mentioned. Rachel Corey was not shot by an IDF soldier. Rachel Corey, unfortunately, was crushed underneath a bulldozer with many warnings in something that was absolutely qualified I, I, I as an accident. Was, her, okay, her, her she was not shot by anybody. All right, so I, I here's so guys, so I'm looking at my. She was crushed by them. You yeah. guys, you guys. All right, here's the th here's the thing. It's 1:58. I have to. Uh, my, the, we're going to go off now with the uh, with the show. I there's a couple of points I want to make just as we go off. First of all, Mohammed, thank you so much for your passionate, articulate, you know, just uh, enumeration of uh, of of your of of facts. Dan, thank you so much for your. Uh, clear presentation of, uh, of of facts. It's funny because there are two things that I, one thing that I said before I knew I was going to get both of you on the phone, and that was that uh, analogies are really rough in these conversations. Like we should probably we should probably not use analogies like Mexico and and California, Los Angeles. They they problematize things a little bit, I think, too much, and, and, and the illustrations that you benefit are not uh, served by the, the, the other dissembling that, that inevitably flows from it. The other thing is, I was the reason I reached out to both of you is because I felt really um, just totally impotent in the face of what's happening right now because even though I've tried to understand the history of this stuff, I really, I really don't get it. And so I also realized that that history and facts are very um, hard to grapple with, and the and the last point, and so it's uh, it requires a commitment of time and energy from from all sides. From Dan, I know I don't even think either one of you expected to be on the phone this long, but from all sides to be able to like be patient and listen to each other. This is a little microcosm of of the the di dynamics that exist over there, and 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 the the la the, the sort of I don't know I missed the fourth point I'm trying to make. Is that when we load up the there is so much horror to go around there is so much um, injustice and pain and one man's collateral damage is another man's uh, constant boot on the throat you know there's it it's I think we should identify those moments where what we want to give ourselves to in the conversation is an, an, um, an expression of that uh, affinity with the pain of one side and another side. I, have, I know both of you guys, so I know that there is uh, affinity for the suffering on both sides. So what I want to exact from you two right now is a commitment to, at some point, I don't know when, but at some point in the future to come on the show earlier in the show, and I'll maybe find a little structure for the conversation, but I think that the future of peace in the region is going to come from smart guys like the two of you who have both demonstrated a capacity to see things from the other guy's point of view to, in a conversation in front of others, demonstrate the uh, mechanics or the, the trajectory for uh, peace and, and reconciliation. Can and, I and it is why the future of the region and its God hope for uh, peaceful reconciliation will come from organizations like CUTs, which does precisely what you're describing by bringing together smart young people from all sides 
with a mutual respect for the other, a willingness to engage around each other's narratives and facts, and a desire to make positive change. I would take your suggestion one step further, though, although I'm happy to take you up on your offer to go on the show uh, earlier in, in a broadcast with Mohammed, and instead suggest, Sean, that you and whomever else you would like and any of your listeners that are so inclined to get on a plane and to go to the region and that we should all meet there and look at facts on the ground together and begin to engage in a meaningful dialogue so that people begin to understand what we're talking about, how close all of these areas are to each other, what East Jerusalem and West Jerusalem look like in terms of the same city with people across the street from each other, and how every single day there is wonderful coexistence going on. And that is where we should have the discussion, and that is where we should see what is happening constructively, and that is where we should plot a vision for the future. I like it. I like it. Uh, it'll be easy. It'll be, I'm, feel I'm, more comfortable would, if people stop hurling rock at each other. I would, I would be more than happy to do that. And I've really enjoyed this evening, and you know, I'm a regular contributor to your show, Sean. Um, I think it was the Buddha who said that better than a thousand hollow words is one word that brings peace. Mm. And I think on that basis, I'd be more than happy to come out and try and, and try and talk and have a live dialogue about, actually, we've looked back at what's happened in the past, we've looked at what's happening now. I think the important point that Dan raises and that you've raised is how do we talk about how we move forward? All right, so it's going to be the first uh, Vox Populi remote uh, broadcast. I'm excited about it. We'll <laughs> figure out how to get that done. Gentlemen, thank you so much for calling in, and we'll, uh, uh, we'll, 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 we'll pick it up again soon. A great pleasure. Thank you very much. Nice meeting you again, Mohammed. Bye, Sean. All right. Wow, that was exciting. It's good to know smart people. It's smart Th to know good people. Uh, Johnny, Ice, Mackenzie, Aston, thank you both Aloha. for your uh, contributions today. Uh, audience, I'm like still under the weather and fighting out from under it, but we ended up with a really quality exchange. Pray God for peace on all sides with all people. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess that's what I'll do now. Pray for peace. He will sing his first war song and fight his first battle. And something went wrong. Surprise attack. Killed him in his sleep that night. And so castles made of sand melts into the sea. Eventually. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.